1: and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit TheRinger.com RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen at the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and up in President Select States. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit TheRinger.com RG.
2: Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. Hope you had a great holiday week, enjoyed all the action this weekend. We are joined, as always, on Monday by Chris Vernon to recap what just happened, and Chris, I'm dreading your recap of the massacre last night between the Cowboys and the Washington football team. I don't know if we should just deal with this like a Band-Aid and get it right off or not, but you take the pick, my friend. They just
0: scored again. The Cowboys just scored again. It's it's Monday morning, and they, they have not stopped scoring since, Warren. I was, look, you never expect somebody to score 42 points in a half. Let up a little bit. In the second half, a um, little disappointed Dallas didn't hang 70 on them. That's what I was rooting for. Once it gets to 56 and there's a lot of time left, I'm thinking, all right, let's get 70 here, uh, but didn't go all the way through, um, but certainly one of the huge performances of the season. And I guess all credit due to Amari Cooper, he came out, did the interview, said The offense is not explosive enough. He wasn't getting enough looks. And look at what he hath wrought. Um, The other thing is their numbers, and they showed this during the broadcast, their home road splits are just unbelievable in terms of their offensive output um, dependent upon. And so with clinching the division, you know that you're at least going to have a home game at the very beginning of it. Um, you know the football team is that's a rat team, so I don't want to make too much of it. Um, but very impressive performance to say the least. That was the biggest cover by a favorite. I was happy that that happened because Warren, I should have conferred with you before. I was looking for. I didn't want to really mess around with ten. I ended up doing it just because I can't help myself. But what I did mess around with was trying to find other big favorites to pair the Cowboys game with. And so I had a lot of money line parlays. Just, all right, here's some autos, automatic wins that I can pair up with that Cowboys money line to get that thing down to a more reasonable price and then i can just uh, i can just watch those and while i was glad i had to get involved with the cowboys last night because i got absolutely smoked because of the stupid chargers i had them Like, as just a throw-in to try to knock down the money line parlay a little bit more in so many different... Like, that was the automatic one. Obviously, the biggest underdog cover of the week.
3: Um, What the hell? What the hell was that? Yeah, that was an embarrassing performance. Um, It was primarily on the defensive side of the ball, obviously, because whenever you're allowing 41 points to the Houston Texans without, I guess there was one defensive score. Uh, There was a 48-yard interception return touchdown. But when you're allowing over 30 points to the Houston Texans, there's an issue with your defense. There is a big-time issue with your defense. And Davis Mills had six incompletions the entire game, and he was only sacked once, and he throws two touchdowns. So Look, I think it was just hilarious. I, I, fortunately, you know, there are certain things that you're going to you look back on with the NFL season that you took a stance. It was contrarian from what everybody else believed, and you were totally right. And this was one of those times when everybody rushed because Brandon Staley said EPA and went for it on a few fourth downs that they wanted to the crown him coach of the year. Sportsbook directors dropped the odds. He's the massive favorite. This was like week five, six of the season. And I'm like, are are you guys insane? Like, are you serious here? And obviously we saw, because the reason we were contrarian on Staley was because of the way that he was calling the, he was, too many people think, oh, well, he's he's not the office coordinator. He's not calling the play. So don't blame him for what Joe Lombardi is doing. And I'm like, dude, you're a first year head coach. You we're a former quarterback. You work with Justin Herbert, too. Are you telling me that you don't give a crap that your offense is inefficient as hell on early downs? Absolutely not. You're part of that. You're you. This is your team. If your offense is doing something that you don't love, you would be stepping in there to make a correction. If your offense is doing something that you're not sure about, you're going to make sure that you guys are calling plays the most efficient manner possible. And they weren't. And they weren't doing that from several months to start the season and so while everybody was on him coach of the year I was like how could he be coach of the year when his offense is just so completely inefficient so like and I were all over that they have the bye they fix the offense a little bit but it's not perfect and then of course the defense is massively problematic so um I, I don't know I mean we're still at a position with the Chargers where I absolutely love and adore their quarterback I think he's extremely talented um in in 3 years once Brady leaves i mean you you you're you're talking about like he is going to be he has the potential we'll see but he has the potential to be considered like one of the top 3 QBs in our in, in the NFL like overall quarterback i'm talking about you know processing i'm talking about decision making i'm talking about accuracy i'm talking about uh arm strength i'm talking about ball placement i'm talking about ability to move out of the pocket like he seems to have all the tools he 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 could check most of those check boxes give him a few more years in the league um but this year i don't know uh, you know all right i know i know i know we're bagging on the chargers cuz
0: they're the ones that came up short and had this insanely disappointing loss uh, how about on the flip side though like i mean you know, should we give a little credit to Davis Mills and the fact that, you know, the Texans were in a miserable spot with the whole Watson thing. They take Davis Mills in the draft. Then last week, they decided we're going to go with Davis Mills. He's good last week, turned around this week and was outstanding against the Chargers. And so while the Chargers defense is abysmal, like, It it might be possible that the Texans got it right with Davis Mills. I mean, for a rookie,
3: he did. I mean, you say he only had six incompletions. I don't care who you're playing against. That's pretty impressive. Oh, it is impressive. I mean, he had a very good day. He finished, what is it, third best in completion percentage over expectation at 8.9% only behind Joe Burrow and Kirk Cousins, ahead of Patrick Mahomes and Ryan Tannehill, et cetera. I mean, it was just one week. It was a very good game, obviously. They don't have the most talent along the line, at the receiver position, at the running back position, like anywhere on the roster. So it's really hard to say. Like, if you see the flash of the quarterback, then you can say, okay, you know this guy. This guy's got it for the future. Um, I'm not. I'm certainly not willing to say that about Davis Mills right now. But it was a great game that he played, and it obviously led to the victory. What was funny about this game? There's lots of like different gambling stories and anecdotes that we could tell from this particular weekend. But I was on at 12:30 on the Spotify Green Room with JJ, and he asked me specifically about this game. And if you're looking at the betting board, which I'm staring at right now, and I stare at all the time, it's Permanently affixed to one of the six monitors in my face that's probably giving me cancer. Um, I'm looking at this thing, and the line is ticking from you know 12 and a half to 13, from 13 to 13 and a half. It looks like it's continuing to continuing to go up. And JJ's like, what about this line on the and the spread on this game? It seems like it's it's really high. It's getting out of control. And I told him, look, there are certain times when the public's betting does actually contribute to small line movements, especially what well, we we were like 30 minutes away from the start of the game. Um, and the movement from like 13 to 13 and a half, it's not that big of a move from like, a, a, in terms of mattering all that much. Like it, it, it matters some, but it's not like from six and a half to seven, let's say, or from seven to seven and a half, it's from 13 to 13 and a half. And... I saw nowhere, like I, I have great connections in this industry with different betting groups. I have access to information. I'm analyzing things. I'm seeing like some of the things that people are betting this is nowhere no no nobody's betting no sharp person is betting the chargers here this was all like a little bit of public money coming in close to kickoff just reacting to some i guess there was some injury and covid news still with the houston texans and they were just reacting to some of that and just inflating this number i was like i don't see anybody who's who's sharp who's actually betting this so going the other way absolutely could be the look that you would want to take um so that was something that was kind of now for them to lose outright, obviously, you know, that's a totally different story, right? Yeah, I didn't to lay 13 and I didn't lay 13 and a half. Yeah, except I am
0: on the damn money line.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I feel your pain. I mean, I did not, but um, that obviously would absolutely frustrate me, especially if it busted uh, some parlays of mine, for sure.
0: So when you were talking about Davis Bills and the, and the job that he did yesterday, you said um, you are given a, the best passers by expectation and Burroughs, right there at the very top. Now, this line got batted around. Ravens in a tough spot having to start Josh Johnson. But in the end, it's still a division game. You know the Bengals mashed them the first time, so maybe they will make some requisite adjustments for the second time, will the Ravens. Um, It mattered not. Bengals bopped them again. And so uh, I know that you were keenly aware of this line being batted back and forth before it, uh, kicked off yesterday.
3: Yeah. This was one of those games where I actually gave it out on our Wednesday extravaganza before Christmas, uh, with house and Solak and mentioned that this was one of those, uh, computer model plays where we took the over and, um, the, on the, on the year, Chris, I mean, Like, okay, lifetime, these are 61%. That's over 15 years. That's really, I mean, that's insane. It's absolutely insane. That's why when I give out a game, the line moves. But on the year, I've never had a year like this. They were 22 and four entering this Sunday. And the only game from this model was this week was this one. It was the over... In the Ravens Bengals game, and I gave it out at 43 and a half. And inevitably, after I give it out, the and you know, we bet it too, the market goes up to uh 45 and a half, and then it drops back down to 45 and it's going back and forth. It even came down as low as uh 44 and a half. Some people bet it under, uh, that obviously disagreed with us. Not every single group is gonna agree with us on every single game. And you know, but still on the Friday show, I was like uh, liking it. It was, it was actually published on Thursday, but I was still liking it. And um, I recommended that even if Lamar Jackson gets officially ruled out and this line drops down because Tyler Huntley is going to be the starter, that maybe it drops down to 44 and I would still smash it. And I'm probably going to bet even more of it myself because I'm perfectly happy with a 100% Tyler Huntley than a 70%. And gimpy Lamar Jackson trying to run around there. So I want, you know, a 100% healthy quarterback for the Ravens. So I was in favor of that. Well, obviously then everything changes. I believe it was on Friday when they actually said that um, Tyler Huntley has tested positive for COVID. And at which point they took the line off the board. And when they reposted it, I want to say the spread, I wasn't as concerned with the spread, but I want to say it was like six and a half. Maybe it was six, goes up to seven at some point. Um, But the total dropped all the way down to like 41 and a half. And I'm like, oh shit. Like, so this is one of those rare, rare times when now the number, I bet over 43 and a half. Now the number is 41 and a half because both the top two quarterbacks for the Ravens are out. What do you do? Right? What do you do? So um, I'm sitting here. I still have supreme confidence. One of the biggest edges in this game I was talking about on the show was the Bengals, the Bengals offense rebounding after having just looked bad against the Baltimore, uh, sorry, look at just bad against the Denver Broncos. And I even posted a graphic about this on my Twitter timeline about how teams that play the Broncos seven uh, of the last seven games. Six of the seven went under their team total. A lot of these games are lower scoring. They don't look very pretty against the Broncos defense. And then the very next week, These teams, every single one of them has exceeded their team total. They went from scoring 16.6 points per game up to 38.5. I said four of the last six scored over 40 points in their game, which is, I mean, this is a down year for scoring. That is very notable that four of six teams that just played the Broncos and didn't look very good and scored under their total now are scoring 40 plus points the very next week. And the two teams that didn't were the Lions and the Washington football team, both of which basically scored 30 points. And pulled out double-digit outright upsets against opponents that are significantly better than them. Uh, they upset the Cardinals and they upset the uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, and you so- just
0: think about you think about these guys. Dak looked horrendous against them. Mm-hmm. Herbert looked bad against them. Mahomes looked bad against them. Burrow looked bad against them. Just on an aside, as, as you mentioned, the Broncos they may end up rolling Vic Fangio. That's possible, but my God. If I I mean much like the Dan Quinn thing has worked for the Cowboys, I would hire that guy as my defensive coordinator in less than a millisecond. 100
3: like 100%, 100%. I mean there's some of the
0: there's some of these guys that might be better suited to just focus on defense or just focus on offense, but that it, because this guy, he has made so many quarterbacks look miserable this year. Like say what you want about fangio with the and the Broncos and their season but good grief and and to your and now obviously you're you're making the point that the next week after they play the Broncos it's
3: you know it's a different world no matter who they're playing against. Yeah, they get they get they get back on track. To your point, I 100% agree. I would be looking to go after Vic Fangio as well. Now he has talent there, right? Like you can't you can't expect him to just come in and take a talentless defense and and work magic with him and make all these other quarterbacks look silly. But there's no doubt his system is effective in the NFL. And you get decent players to play it well, then that defense is going to perform better better than most teams will um so, so the line gets the batted story. yeah 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 the bat the lag gets batted around yeah and it's down to 41 and a half and so i got clients like a lot of these guys they're they're betting i i tell everybody like this cannot continue right like i'm i'm betting my standard amount of what i'm we're able to get down on games right there's only so much when we're getting on down on games on like a a monday the limits are a certain level you can't pour like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars into these things because you just can't get down that much is physically impossible. So we're getting down the limits that we can, just like we were week one and week two and week three. Um, But like there are guys that are now seeing what these are doing and like trying to, trying to bet more. And, and I try to tell the people like, A, it can't continue going like this. And B, you should just be unit betting what my unit sizes are. You don't go and go Berserk with this stuff because nothing is a sure thing. Past results don't guarantee future performance, even though the track record is sixty-one percent lifetime, and they're eighty-four percent this year. That doesn't mean that like this one's going to go one and oh At any rate, what should we do? What should we do? P- people ask me, and and I'm telling them like. There's not much we can do right now. I'm not going under 41 and a half when I took over 43 and a half, leave myself open to the game landing, 42, 43. 42 is not important. 43 is a somewhat key number. Um, So we stuck it out and we're sitting there. And then Sunday morning, this thing goes up to to 42. Then it goes up to 43. And I'm like, "Mm, interesting. Other people are betting this thing over, even though they know that it's Josh Johnson playing a quarterback. Then it goes up to 43 and a half, and the sharpest book in the world went up to 44. The rest of the market was 43, some 43 and a half, but they were sitting at 44. And I started to feel pretty confident at that point, like, okay, we might be able to still get this thing done. So we never got off any bit of it, even though Josh Johnson was playing in the total dip to 41 and a half. I just decided to stand firm on it, and obviously that was the best decision because that was one of the few totals there have been some you know, over the last you know, several years that I certainly remember that you bet an over and it's hit the over at halftime, right? I think the Washington, your Dallas game, I don't yep. know if you bet the total, I think that one hit the over at halftime. There are some games that have done that when you're on the over, it's just like, wow, this is so nice because a lot of times, particularly this year, it's just a sweat heading down the stretch of these games because the scoring is down overall. Um, So it was nice to have a game that just was over At halftime. And now those things are 23 and four on the season. Just an absurd run that will never, 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 ever be duplicated. Well, I've got to ask you is there any way to plug
0: in Josh Johnson into the model and then get a number for that? And was that number, you know, close enough
3: that you didn't want that, that? That's the reason you didn't want to mess with it. So I actually, yeah. So my number was I don't even want to share what my true number was on the game because I don't like giving out like what my actual model is predicting here but my true number on the game um this year has been you know some guys design their models so that ideally they're very close to what the actual totals are so like okay my model is when I'm back testing my model is reflective of kind of what the real lines are on these games and so it must be good because it's kind of close to what the odds makers are well for my model sometimes it's significantly higher or significantly lower. I mean, we're t- so in th- this was one of those games where it was significantly higher by m- by more I'll just say this. It was higher by, by over the 43 and a half by at least 4 points. Okay, that which is which is like wow, this is really showing value in this game. But Lamar was like 70%. He didn't play the prior game and it was like what is he going to be when he plays and and so I didn't see any difference between a Lamar, 80% maybe. I don't know what he would have been on his ankle versus a 100% Tyler Huntley. I watched him play the Packers the week before. I didn't downgrade the team at all for that. Josh Johnson was an X factor um, because he has played in spot duty and sometimes come in. I think he played against... Uh, the Colts earlier this year when he was with the Jets, if I'm not mistaken, and Mike White got hurt and he came in and actually had a great game. So and that was just like off the bench, just like insert him into the game here. He actually had time, um, you know, with that system a little bit to kind of understand what to do. And I have a lot of confidence in general with the Ravens staff and their system making it beneficial for a backup quarterback to step in because they go after a certain mobile type who, and they don't ask too much of them. I mean, just think about like what Lamar is even asked to do in that offense. It's not like he's being asked to like, uh, cure hunger and things of that nature. Like it's, it's pretty straightforward. Josh Johnson, I'm looking at his numbers here. 5.6% completion percentage over expectation, which was, I don't know, eighth or ninth in the NFL just below Dak Prescott yesterday, who was at 5.7%. Two touchdowns, one interception, and 300 yards passing. And it wasn't a great day he threw one interception, but it obviously wasn't a bad day either. But this game really was boiled down to the continued situation with the Ravens secondary just falling apart completely. And Joe Burrow wanted to come out and play really well. And I don't know if you heard, but like, Greg Roman was throwing out these comments before the game about,
0: yeah, well, I, saw I don't it. know
3: that we need to play him that much differently. Like he doesn't have his gold jacket yet. He's no Aaron Rodgers. And I saw after the game, Joe Burrow came back and said, you know, well, I am only in my second year. So it's hard to know what I'm going to be in the future. But um, I didn't get offended by those comments, but I also at the same time felt that those weren't really necessary. I mean, I'm just in my second year. So he definitely took a little bit of offense yep. to him. And then they asked him, you know, were you thinking about those comments when you were throwing for 500 yards? And he said, yes, I was. So, you know, good, good for Joe. Good for Joe.
0: Well, my favorite of, of that game, my favorite moment yesterday was, out of nowhere, Peter Schrager uh, tweets out that Josh Johnson had played for, has now played for 14 teams in 14 NFL teams, he's played in four different leagues, and that he played for Jim Harbaugh, not for Michigan, not for Stanford, but rather was his quarterback at the University of San Diego. I was like, this is unbelievable. Unbelievable. He was Harbaugh's coach at San Diego? I mean, Andrew Luck was his quarterback at
3: Stanford. <laughs> like, that's just absolutely incredible. Josh Johnson's list of places that he's played is like the Cleveland Browns' jersey of quarterbacks that they've had. I, know. I mean, it just it goes really all the is. way off the jersey.
2: This episode is brought to you by Maybelline New York. Get ready to bring the heat with Maybelline's newest lip plumping gloss, Lifter Plump. Fair warning, though, it's hot. Like, literally. It's formulated with chili peppers to bring a heated sensation and an instant plumping effect that lasts. Available in eight sizzling shades, like Blush Blaze, Hot Honey, and more. Buy Lifter Plump now on Amazon and use the code 10PLUMP to get 10% off for a limited time. Tap the banner to learn more.
0: couple other ones yesterday we got to get to. Um, two teams that met in the Super Bowl last year, You know, were kind of dinged up, or really dinged up, going into their games this weekend, and yet both throttled their opponents despite being down guys. And that's the Bucks and the Chiefs. What were your biggest takeaways from watching those two?
3: Yeah, I I think this this was uh, the mentality of a champion. You know, this was championship mentality. Both of these teams had issues going into these games. There was definite parallels here. Two strong favorites that were dealing with issues. In the Bucks' case, it was a lot of players that were hurt and injured, especially offensively, weapons for Brady. In the Chiefs case, it was also weapons for Mahomes, but it, it was COVID. A lot of these different guys had COVID and you know we weren't sure if Tyreek was going to play or Travis Kelsey was going to play and what their statuses were going to be. And those are like two of the most impactful players in the NFL. And Both of these teams come out and win their games by near identical scores. Uh, One game saw 38 points scored. One game saw 36 points scored. Both teams scored between 32 and 36 points themselves. Both of these teams held their opponents to 10 or fewer points um, and, you know, throttled the Carolina Panthers and the Pittsburgh Steelers, respectively. I thought that this game was, both of these games rather, just opposite conferences but extreme parallels where these teams are ratcheting themselves up for the for the playoff run, right? Like th- that, we hear the old saying, you know, this is what happens down the stretch. The season doesn't begin until after Thanksgiving. And, you know, it's important to look at what some of these teams are doing down the stretch. Um, the hottest team in the NFL, I've got, a, I've got a list here. I'll list off the teams that, there's only a few of them that actually have winning records since week 10. Now, obviously week 10 is before Thanksgiving, but point is, Chiefs are 6-0. They're the best record in the NFL since Week 10. Dolphins are 5-0 with tonight's result pending. So that might surprise some people, but they are really hot right now too. Packers, Colts, and Eagles. Packers and Colts, it seems like we recognize both of those teams. Those are all five and one. The Eagles are kind of that team that's sliding under the radar a little bit, but they've had to go on this run or they wouldn't be in playoff contention right now because their record heading into Week 10 was not very good. So they are also five and one. The Bucs and 49ers are both five and two. So there's Tampa Bay. We already mentioned the Kansas City Chiefs. They're five and two. You got the Bills and Vikings, both are four and three. And then actually, nope, I made a mistake. Your Cowboys are now five and two as well because they won. So include them with the Bucs, 49ers, and Cowboys at all teams at five and two. And then four and two, you got the Patriots, you got the Bengals, and you got the Rams. So um, that's it. That's it. Uh, every, every other team is at or below 500 since week 10. Well, and I know
0: you mentioned the Patriots there, but there were two games, Warren, where it felt like teams going the right way versus teams going the wrong way, at least recently. And that's the Bills winning over the Patriots and then the Cardinals, who have now given up their lead in the NFC West and they get dropped by the Colts. So you've got those teams It kind of, I mean, both those games where just a few weeks ago would have been very high on the Cardinals still, would have been very high on the Patriots still, and maybe a little down, certainly more so on the Bills than uh, the Colts. But Bills and Colts, you know, when you talk about playing your best leading in, I I was really impressed by the whole Colts thing because there is no excuse for the Cardinals being down a bunch of guys because... I mean, you had Ryan Kelly, you had Quentin Nelson. I mean, they were, they, they, they're defensive guys, Darius Leonard. I mean, that, that Colts team had nobody left and were still able to get the win. So tell me what you made of those two uh, outcomes, the Bills with their big win over the Pats, which was huge for their division. And then the Cardinals kind of stumbling along and the Colts being able to win despite being down so many guys.
3: Yeah. So let's start with Buffalo. Um, I finally felt like the Bills offense got their shit together. You know, like this was a complete performance against a very balanced and very good opponent. Right. Um, This wasn't, you know, whooping up on a lesser tier team. And every time that they've stepped up in class recently against some really good opponents, they haven't looked quite as strong. This was that performance. And what did they do? Well, they came out, they were aggressive on early downs. Um, They were trying to intentionally avoid third downs with their play calling. They passed at a bit of a higher rate. Um, They ran their running backs a little bit less. They ran Josh Allen when he saw open run lanes. And this team, but be- because you are aggressive on early downs, inevitably the third downs that you face, which it's impossible never to face a third down, will be of the variety that are easier to convert because they'll be shorter because you're trying to avoid them. So instead of running into a, a third and six because you got conservative on first and ten and then you decided to throw the ball on second down or whatnot, uh, but but you had so far to go that it was incomplete or whatnot, then then you have this third and long. They didn't run into very many of those. A B they were quite aggressive on fourth down. They actually went for it four times and converted three of them. And I said, going into this game, like this is that game where Sean McDermott better be going for it on fourth down because if he does, he might have a big edge over Bill Belichick, who historically was that guy who would be roll the dice, go for it on fourth down. But of late, he's been much more conservative on that money down. And so fourth down decisions for Bill has Aired on the side of caution for the most part and this could be a big step up if you're actually going for it on fourth down plus which every single big game that the bills have played they're running into these situations inside the five yard line where inevitably they fail on a third down and they're left with like should we go for it or kick the field goal and they kept kicking all these close in field goals and they needed they really needed to be going for some of these so at any rate this was the first team chris in all of Bill Belichick's head coaching career, which was, I believe, 434 games, something like that. It was I think it was close to 434, where his opponent did not punt one single time. The Buffalo Bills punted zero times against the New England Patriots for the first time ever that Bill Belichick was their head coach, which wow. is which is pretty outrageous. They were six of 12 on third down, three of four on fourth down, four of seven inside of the red zone. So overall, I thought that that aggression was absolutely needed. What was a little surprising was how poorly Ma- Mac Jones performed. He was 19.5 completion percentage over expectation. Third worst in the league. Only Jake Fromm and Taylor Heineke were worse than what he was. Through two interceptions, only 145 passing yards um, this is one of those games where I expected both teams to come out here and throw the ball. The sharp money was absolutely on the Buffalo Bills. You could probably tell that from the line movement down, um, opened like two and a half, close at probably close to one. Um, the the sharper money was definitely on the bills here, fading the Patriots. Um And I liked both of these quarterbacks to be throwing the ball a lot. I knew that the Bills were going to be coming out and probably passing the ball a lot here. And then I expected them to have some success in doing so and the Patriots potentially trailing. And so I took both these quarterbacks over their passing attempts as well and both exceeded their passing attempt numbers. Um, And, you know, but Mac Jones was just the guy who looked considerably worse. I don't know that it's like a death knell for the Patriots. Think about who, they still had guys out from their offense in the receiving core that weren't there. Uh, They had Damian Harris, but it was his first game after missing several weeks with a hamstring injury. So that's not, he might not be at 100%, but they had to play him a lot because Ramondre Stevenson was dealing with COVID. um, And, you know, I guess Nelson Aguilar was out with COVID. So there there was just a number of guys that got Kendrick Bourne back really late. Like, they've had some COVID situations going on there. I'm not writing off the Patriots for being able to do anything in the postseason off of this one. Um, but you got to feel good if you're the Bills simply be, because yes. they,
0: they performed, you know, they performed well against them. And, you know, the, even if you want to just say the 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 first matchup was just... I mean, that was that was not indicative. You can't take away of, anything. Yeah, not, you can't take away yeah. anything from that. So, But you think about the way they performed against the Patriots and the way they performed against the Chiefs. And you think about, like, all right, who are the teams that you're worried about or teams that you're going to have to match up with on the way to an NFC championship or possibly a Super Bowl? And... Their performances
3: against some of the better teams
0: have been rather impressive.
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the game against the Bucs, they obviously were down massively in that game. And you could yeah. argue that because of a failed PI call and stuff, they might have, they should have won that game coming back from behind. But the bottom line is they were down bad in that game. They were down bad against the Indianapolis Colts in some weather, but they were able to win against the Chiefs. As you said, they just thromp. Uh, stomped the Patriots. They obviously handled the uh, New Orleans Saints earlier this year, who at one point were like a great team. We're going to talk about them momentarily because they play on Monday night. You do feel good about the Bills. The Bills are probably going to be now hosting a game. That was the de facto AFC East championship game. Now Buffalo has an 89% chance to win the AFC East. That means they'll be hosting a playoff game. That may or may not be a good thing for them because if the weather is bad, this is not a team to win in bad weather. If they want to throw the ball... um, and, and I think their pass defense probably is, you know, without Tredavious White, I don't, I don't know how good that pass defense really is. They obviously stepped up and tried to make an, an impression on stopping the run. The other way that you can make a team stop running the football is if you get a big enough lead, which is what they were able to do because they could pass the ball here. Um, but it is kind of also- weird. It's, it is kind of weird how they will build their team and they have this offense that is best suited for better weather. Well, that's a that's a frustrating part about if you think about the way that team is built and the way the Kansas City Chiefs team is built, this is the way you build teams to win in the NFL. I know the defenses have made adjustments, and so it is nice to be able to trot out an extra tight end or heavy personnel and throw the defense some different looks. And those teams are best suited in you know their their 11 personnel for the most part. But the bottom line is that if you're saying, okay, neutral game, neutral situation. We're starting a team and we're located in Florida or in a dome. How are you going to build it? Like, a mobile quarterback with a big arm and we're we're relying on the passing game because passing is more efficient than running the football. And like you're you're designing a team like and we're going to be built to stop the pass. We're going to have a decent secondary, like all of those types of things. These guys are checking all the boxes. The problem is they play in, and this hasn't been as big of an issue for the Kansas City Chiefs as it's been of late for the Buffalo Bills, but these teams play in Bad climate zones where they are dealing with winter weather. And so they're not playing in a dome like the LA Chargers could be playing in. And so it works against them. And obviously, it would be more beneficial for the Bills offense to be playing inside of a dome than it would be to play on the uh, winter weather in Buffalo, for sure. If you
0: tell me that there's a a snowstorm for round one, you know, that they're going to play... I like him less.
3: Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) I I know, it is funny. Like, like, I don't understand. Yeah, it is funny. But that's the one thing (laughs) to close out the loop on this game and then talk about the Cardinals. The one thing about both the Bills and the Patriots and why we think that they should be in good position here to like close out the season and these are going to be their final results is the Bills most likely win the AFCs is because... These teams really haven't played very difficult competition. I mean, Buffalo next has the Falcons and then the Jets. That's how they close up their season. It's it's one of the easier schedules on the year in general. And then the Patriots have the Jaguars and the Dolphins. So again, easier teams to close out the year. This was the little stretch for both of these teams. They're playing a few opponents here from Thanksgiving onward that are really difficult. How are these teams going to look in this situation? So we got a sneak peek of that. The Arizona Cardinals, this is a team obviously that is falling off as the Indianapolis Colts are rising. We saw them win that game without their entire offensive line, more or less, in Arizona on Christmas evening. And, you know, certainly that was one where I took the over 23 and a half points in the Indianapolis Colts team total. It goes up to 24 and a half. That was before we knew about all these COVID issues along the offensive line. And of course, I obviously liked it less. And that was one of the losses for me this week. But the Indianapolis Colts are a team that can win in any weather condition, right? They can run the football. They can play solid, sound defense. They were playing without a couple of their uh, starting defensive players. Darius Leonard, for instance, who's like the heart and soul of that defense. But the Arizona Cardinals, I mean, yes, I know that they're without the Andre Hopkins, but just continued examples. We we said this last week on here, Chris, Cliff Kingsbury. You can't trust him in big moments to make the right decisions. He's settling for field goals. He's playing for field goals. They're missing some of these kicks. He's got a holder in Colt McCoy who, I don't know, maybe you've heard a better story than what I've got, but the best story that I've got for you on this is Colt McCoy never has been a holder and he was not spinning the football. It was like laces back, laces to the side, and that was contributing to their kicker, missing some of these kicks. And it was something that they easily could have been practicing more in practice, like Colt McCoy, hold the football, spin the laces, do all that type of stuff. So they ended up getting rid of Colt McCoy during the game and bringing on a different holder who would spin the laces the right way for the field goals. I mean, it was absurd that Cliff Kingsbury hasn't thought about this beforehand, checked all the boxes on like, okay, I'm going to go through my procedures to figure out how we're going to win this game. Yep, let's make sure that we're not intentionally settling for long field goals and then having a kicker uh, kick from a holder who doesn't know how to spin the football the right way. Like, it makes no sense to me what Cliff King Curry's doing I've, out I've there. told
0: you so many times throughout this season, Warren, and this is college and it's pro. There's a lot of these guys, they just want to call plays. Like all, the defense stuff, like you handle the defense, the minutia, like all, they they're play callers. That's what they want to do.
3: They want to call plays. And I'm fine with them farming out like the minutiae, as you call it, like the kick-go decision-making to your analytics guy, to the guy that's smarter than you are. But um, it feels like a lot of times coaches don't do that. They don't rely on that guy entirely. Like they just want to step in with their own decisions. I don't even know if they've got a guy in his headset who's advising him on what to do or how aggressive to be on third down here to play for this or play for that. Okay, we got two downs here. Like Coaches and quarterbacks need to know that, right? The guy who's calling the plays needs to know, okay, if we come up just short here, we're going to go for it on fourth down. It's kind of helpful to have that information in the back of your head before that third down play call you decide upon and make sure that you let your quarterback know that so that Everybody who's part of this knows that, okay, we're going to, this is four down territory for us. And I don't know if they've got a guy like that in their headset or not, but they certainly need somebody like oh, that. I and I to, don't know look, that I have I, a lot of confidence in this team going down the stretch the way that they are because, yeah, I mean, what is this? Three consecutive losses after the point when we said the season starts after Thanksgiving, and then they've lost all three of their games.
2: This episode is brought to you by Hug.
0: All right, so we do have, after week 15, a little clearer picture. Six of the 14 playoff spots are taken. There are 24 teams mathematically alive with two weeks left. Um, But of the eliminated, Seahawks joined that group. Giants joined that group. Panthers joined that group. Uh, We have all thought that the Seahawks are going to look radically different, whether that means the absence of Russell Wilson next year, I think which we all expect, but who knows, on Pete Carroll. Um, I did see a really interesting note this morning that speaks to uh, Pete Carroll and his coaching career. I believe it was Albert Breer uh, that tweeted it out. This is going to be Pete Carroll's first 10-loss season in any capacity, at any level, in 27 years. The last time was his lone season as the Jets head coach in 1994. So it's been a long I mean 10, 10 losses uh for Pete Carroll. I, I I would imagine that it's probably Russell Wilson uh that's not there anymore next year. I, I don't I wouldn't expect them to uh run out Pete Carroll. The Giants say they're sticking with their guy. Uh that's the report, at least, that Joe Judge uh, is going to be able to withstand this and be back next year. And Carolina is a big who knows, right, with uh, with Matt Rule, it seems.
3: Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to really evaluate these teams when we're so fired up for the teams that are doing well and yep. they're more interesting to discuss. But obviously you also have a similar situation, right? With like Trevor Lawrence, you mentioned with Pete Carroll, first losing season of 10 losses or whatnot. And obviously I don't think Russ has ever had a losing season, if I'm not mistaken. And, and the same is true with like Trevor Lawrence, right? Who's obviously a lot younger, hasn't, is his only, his first season with Jacksonville, but, um, having a losing season, I think is his first time in his, his young career, uh, in college or high school or whatnot. So like, it's about adversity. I mean, winning in the NFL is very difficult. It's very challenging. Uh, going as long as you've gone, you know, with Russ having winning seasons. And I mean, that's, that's something to be commended for, but it's just so difficult to do year in and year out because football is the ultimate team sport. It takes the health of all the players. It takes competent coaching and it takes performance on the field and certainly doesn't hurt, right? For Tom Brady is. Point, you know, point number one here uh, for your defense to uh, for your sorry, for your division to implode around you, right, to have shit teams in your division. Like Tom Brady's been loving that playing in the AFC East for years uh, with bad decisions and bad coaches cycling through the the Jets or the, you know, some of the teams that are in his division. But with regard to the Seattle Seahawks, their division is very good is very competitive. It's been that way for several years now. Decent coaches in the division for the most part, um, at least not like abhorrent, like terrible type coaches. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a challenging division. Um, when you lose, you need to make adjustments. I'm in favor of making adjustments when you win. I'm in favor of self scouting after wins. Where can we improve here? How can we tweak things differently? What can we do to optimize ourselves? So absolutely. If you're losing, you, you, you need, you need to be pointing the fingers. The thumbs are being pointed back to you. What can we do differently? How do I need to improve what I'm doing here? You've got to go through the entire process of the entire franchise all the way from, you know, player selection to what we're doing with our draft picks to how we're optimizing our 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 salary cap are we giving it to the most important positions or aren't we like all of these different things need to be called into question analyzed and you know fixed if possible
0: yeah go get five offensive linemen that would be my uh, there you go (laughs) that would be what i'd say all right tonight we got saints and dolphins Little Ian Book action for the <laughs> Saints. Uh, you know they didn't want to start Ian Book. They had Jameis. they had Simeon, they had Taysom Hill. They they didn't started anybody. But they're starting Ian Book, who was fun to watch when he was at Notre Dame. Uh, the Saints have to win for certain. You know, they still won't overtake the 49ers or the Eagles, um, but they need to win to stay in this thing. The Dolphins, you know. They might need a miracle to make the playoffs, but they actually do control their own destiny. You mentioned them as one of the hottest teams. They have the Saints, and then they have the Titans next week, which is not an impossible task. The, tonight, they're favored. Next week will not be an impossible task. And it really may set up a scenario. If they could somehow win the Saints game and the Titans game, it might set up a win and they're in their end scenario with the Dolphins and the Patriots in the last week of the season. So if the Dolphins win out, they're going to be a playoff team. And they do oddly control their own destiny. So there's some actually big stakes tonight in terms of If these teams lose, they're not going to be playoff teams, but whoever does win is going to have a chance with, and especially with the Dolphins, you know, they can keep doing the, look, if we win every game, nobody can keep us from being a playoff team, which is incredible considering their horrendous start to the season.
3: Yeah. So if you've been paying attention to this podcast on all the different shows, you know, we talk a lot about how the Patriots really haven't played anybody. The Patriots, You know, how do we know if their defense is actually any good because they've played no offenses? It's been a point that I've made multiple times in and out. Well, by nature, you should obviously realize then that the Dolphins probably are in the same situation because the Dolphins play in the AFC East. So they're playing all the same types of teams in terms of non-division teams that the Patriots are for the most part. And sure enough, if you look back over the stretch run where they've won, what, I think it's six games in a row, Two have been against the Jets. One have been against the Giants. One has been against the Houston Texans. And one has been against the Carolina Panthers. Now, you have that impressive performance against a... 16th overall efficiency in total efficiency team in the Baltimore Ravens where you blitz the shit out of Lamar Jackson and use cover zero, and they never figured out how to stop that. Greg Roman had no answers, and they won that game. But for the most part, they've been playing some terrible teams. Now you got this last stretch of the season. And this last stretch of the season is the Saints followed by the Titans, followed by the Patriots, as you mentioned. All three of those teams are basically better than every single one of those opponents that they've beaten along the stretch run, with the lone exception of the Baltimore Ravens. And two of these games um, are going to come on the road, one of which comes tonight. And then they got a road game in Tennessee next week. I I think it's an uphill battle to assume that the Miami Dolphins win all of these games. They might get lucky here and beat Ian Book. Um, I have not placed a single bet in this game. Um, I may not. Uh we'll just have to see how the rest of the uh actives and actives roll in and any other information that comes my way. But this is a game that I think is going to be uh, let's put it this way. Defensively, it's an interesting game for the Dolphins because they like to try to get after you, get force everything upon your quarterback. But you know, there's a very good chance that the Saints just run the ball a fair amount here. Um, And so they don't have to play into that that defensive front that's going to send pressure at you and try to disguise a lot of things and confuse the quarterback, thus making it imperative that the Saints don't drop too far behind and have no alternative but to pass the football. On the other side, you know, this Saints defense is absolutely outstanding at stopping the run. They are the number one run defense right now in the NFL and they've been tested. They have played a much more difficult schedule. I talked about the Saint uh the Dolphins schedule. Saints schedule has been much more difficult. You look at even in the last, what, four, five, five games, the Bucks, the Cowboys, the Bills, the Eagles who are on a run right now. I mean, that's who they've played in four of their last five, and and the Jets thrown in there for good measure, and they whooped the Jets 30 to nine. So it's not like these. Saints have been playing easy teams like the Miami Dolphins have. They've been playing some of the very best teams in the NFL. They were able to beat the Bucs because they match up super well with Tampa Bay. Uh, But they obviously lost all these other games and most of them were not close. Double digit losses to the Cowboys, to the Bills, to the Eagles. But their run defense is great. Their pass defense is where you would want to attack them. Well, guess what Miami loves to do? They love to pass the ball. They're the third highest pass rate team in the NFL. They're going to try to dink and dunk and throw the football on the Saints defense, try to avoid the pass rush. So from that perspective, Miami's offense does match up pretty well here, but it's Tua, you know, and he struggled a little bit against the Jets. What I think he only threw for 196 yards last week. They didn't need him to throw the football a lot because they won that game 30 to 9, but he only completed 59% of his passes. Um, I mean, he... he Does not deserve, I think, some of the negative pressure. I think you completely agree with me on this, Chris. Like he's flown under the radar a little bit about some of the positive things that he's done. Um, But it's not going to be easy for him going into New Orleans and taking on this defense. So... I'm really excited to watch this game. And this goes to show you, you don't always have to have money on games to make them exciting or interesting to want to watch them. There's a lot of compelling matchups on both sides of the ball here that make this game an interesting cat and mouse. But obviously for Sean Payton, he's going to have to work a miracle, figure out a way to avoid having Ian Book be in known passing situations against this Brian Flores aggressive defense. And if he can do that and keep this game close, um, obviously, you know, easy, easier said than done. But that's exactly the way that you can win a game with Ian Book as your quarterback.
0: Makes for a really good game. And it feels like we have watched uh, an NFL football game because of all this COVID crap. We've, it (laughs) feels... Any night we don't have an NFL game, it feels weird now because <laughs> we had like Tuesday, Wednesday, or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, games on Saturday, Sunday. So we—they've uh, all been spread out. We've had a bunch of NFL games, but one last one for this
3: week, and I actually, I'm excited. I think this is actually going to be a very good game. Uh, well, and. I I do too. And there's no games this upcoming week. So just mentally in your calendar, no more Thursday night football. There's no Saturday night football. Obviously, Saturday is New Year's Day. Uh, Every single game is going to be played on Sunday next week with the lone exception of the Browns and Steelers, which is going to be played on Monday night. So um, you got college football as long as those bowl games don't get canceled due to COVID, which it seems like that's every day. One of those games is getting canceled. So we'll see which ones uh, survive. But yeah, I mean, the NFL season is winding down, Chris. It's been a great season, a lot of fun. Um, and certainly, like, the playoffs are going to be ultra exciting and competitive just because there have been clear-cut, you know, best team yep. in the NFL bar none, 16-0 at this point in time. Absolutely not. It's it's going to be fun and competitive, and I think we've got a couple of uh, great weeks of football left for us, uh, thankfully. But I'm looking forward to this game tonight. and. That'll do it for the Ringer Gambling Show. Thank you to everyone for listening. We'll be back later this week to break down the games, what we think is going to happen for Week 17, which actually is not the last week in the season. We've got an 18th week this year, uh, but Week 17 is coming up, and we'll be predicting some of those games and getting some picks from house. It's going to be a lot of fun, so stay tuned. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks to Chris Vernon for joining me today. Thanks to Mike Wargon and Craig Holbreck for producing the show. We will see you guys soon.
0: This episode is brought to you by hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes